Hello and welcome to episode 54 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Today we are joined in studio, Christian and I, by the Vice President of the 3252, Mr. Mauricio Facio. Thank you so much for coming to Shoulder to Shoulder Studios and joining us, sir. Thank you for the invite and wow, that voice really puts me in a good mood. I know, right? I was talking about yours, Christian. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> you preemptively <laughs> said it before I said one word. Ask my wife. I preempt everything. <laughs> well, how appropriate on this, uh, the night of the State of the Union dress that we have uh, a person of, of presidential air here with us, Mr. Vice President, uh, Madam Vice President. Thank you so much for joining us. So, boys, as far as the last week, we haven't really had much in the way of news rolling around. Um, I suppose we had a preseason match. We'll kick around our thoughts on that. We can kind of kick around some international duty thoughts, talk a little bit about kit launch. But I suppose, uh, you know, first and foremost, I was curious what you guys think of the uh, Shakira Bowl, uh, Super Bowl. Shakira Bowl is right. I think the halftime show preempted the fourth quarter, at least, because the first half was a tough game that I didn't think was having Kansas City show what they had shown the, in the earlier playoff rounds or in the regular season. So I was happy. In the end, I had chose Kansas City. Yeah, put a little money down, so I was happy about it. Well, I got a lot of family up in NorCal that were all rooting for the Niners, or um, as my mother affectionately refers to them, the shiny heinies. Sadly, it didn't go down for them as well as they had hoped. My childhood, I remember a lot of those Montana and then Young eras. You know, some fond memories back then, although obviously now, I mean, I haven't followed NFL in 20 years. So This is when I check in, so. Yeah, I mean, this is the one game a year that I watch, and it, it really wasn't that interesting for three quarters. Um, but whew, that halftime show, to uh, to quote uh, Mr. Orozco, obligatory Rich Orozco shout-out, uh, fire. Yeah, yeah, it was fire. That was, that was fire for sure. I was uh, fortunate enough to uh, enjoy the event alongside Global Diplomatic at our charity event hosted by the District 9 Ultras at our North Hollywood Clubhouse. Uh, which is a wonderful event, wonderful turnout. We ended up packing the room. We also ended up packing an entire truckload full of stuff that Shoulder to Shoulder Studios has graciously sent down to Leon Guanajuato to the orphanage there. We will be passing out those items uh, with Roxana from Global Diplomatic on Monday prior to our game versus Leon, our first international chance to be a force for good. So we want to start by sending our sincerest thanks to absolutely everyone who participated in those donations. Pride Republic, special shout out to you guys for sponsoring children involved in each event. And everyone who was able to contribute school supplies, we sent quite a bit down. And we're happy to say we paid a healthy bill to uh, FedEx in order to get that stuff down there and happy to do so. Um, so that's, that was really a cool event. Uh, Mauricio, um, uh, unfortunately, couldn't get out of church, I hear, that day. What ended up happening, my friend? I was doing a day of service. I was doing uh, the Lord's work that day. My son had to do some service hours to jump in for a friend of ours, became ill, couldn't do his service hours. So my son, being the ultra that he is sometimes, uh, jumped in and decided to do the service hours for this person and had to make the decision there. Do I go to the Super Bowl party? Or do I help out a friend in need and decide to help out the friend in need? Did get to watch Super Bowl from afar. Got to enjoy uh, Shakira and J-Lo. I was, I'm still one of those people waiting for SpongeBob to do, <laughs> to do the halftime show. I was promised that last year, and That's I'm still hilarious. defying and waiting for it. It looked like fun. I wish I would have been there. I was there in spirit. But it was lovely to see everyone come together for a day for the greater good. And it's that's what we're all about here. We stand shoulder to shoulder, as you say, as you guys say here, and um, for the for the community, for people, and for everybody. 
Oh, you had your own kind of Hail Mary that day. So that's something that defines Mauricio, for those of you who don't know Mo, a man who will literally give you the shirt off his back, as I can attest to. Um, as long as you're a double X. <laughs> conveniently, we share the same size in I was going to say, I'd swim in that. <laughs> if you like a dress, almost. Well, real quick, okay, so let's talk about NYCFC versus LAFC. It was a wonderful match that no one got to see. Looks like uh, Vince was probably the only person there. And and thanks to his recap, we have something to say about it. So shout out to That's How You Soccer. But we won three to one. Finally, our first decision in in a match versus NYCFC. We've had nothing but ties up until this point. So everyone didn't get to see our first victory, the first decision in a match versus NYCFC. And we also didn't get to see Raito scoring a goal. So lovely. You know, but look, I understand from a tactical standpoint, they don't want people in the stands, but uh, it's a bummer from the supporter standpoint because uh, I would have loved to have been there singing my lungs out. But some other cool stuff that went down, I mean, it looks like, um, you know, Adrian Perez got back on the score sheet again. Uh, he definitely looks much bigger than he was last year, certainly uh, a physical presence this year. And everything we're hearing out of training camp is nothing but positives about his work rate uh, and his continued acclimation back into the grass game really impressive um and then we saw um you know one of the the new guys get on the score sheet so jorge gonzalez shows up our third round draft pick with a goal as well too 76 overall so yeah trying to get a spot it's already a crowded field so i I think he's trying to take some shine so that he could hopefully get us uh get a contract and get signed so you know vince gave us three takeaways i'm glad like you said adrian perez is uh taking the offseason very very seriously he came back very like you said but he looked sharper too and i think his link up play in the match against peñarol was one of the things that you didn't really get to see in the score sheet i mean his goal was a gimme but there, he did a lot of things before that that i think i thought was more positive and more confident in comparison to where he ended last year no exactly a lot of people did not notice him in the peñarol game and seeing him running up and down and doing the yeoman's work mm-hmm. he did a lot of that stuff and that's kind of the stuff that i look for when i look at the pitch uh, it's nice to see the goals and stuff like that but I love seeing the work uh, behind the scenes. Right. That might be because I like doing the work behind the scenes too. Yeah. But that's exactly what I love to see on, on the pitch. Uh, the look on his face and the feeling in the North End when he finally did get on the score sheet was a beautiful thing. That was last amazing. Year. That was such a touching moment, I think, for everyone who knew that he had put in that work. I mean, we'd seen it week in and week out, but to see him finally cross that line was really awesome. And I think also in this game, um, my boy, number 42, Christian Torres, shows up with an assist with El Munir as well, too, on that final goal. Um, I can't wait to see that uh, number 42 in the black and gold. And yeah, I hope spe- he keeps that number, yeah. Well, speaking of what the black and gold might look like, we uh, we have a new kid as of tomorrow, boys. Are you excited about this? I'm very excited, Mo. It looks very nice. Yes. Uh, if these eyes could talk... <laughs> It's very nice. You have been winking a lot. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of hard not to in this room. Uh, Well, much to the chagrin of the club, I think everyone has seen the kid at this point. And by the time this episode comes out, uh, everyone in this room will have a fancy new version of that kid. Um, And everyone will have seen it at this point. But I think cat's out of the bag. We have Art Deco numbers on the back, which uh, we have probably the best fit of any team in the MLS for that. We have that cool little flag patch that's going to be on it. We have a gold Target logo. We have a gold YouTube TV across the front. Shout out to our friend Matt Ross. So 
everything the fans could have asked for in this kit, black on black. All of that is there. Um, we do have the vertical stripes, which um, I'm sure uh, our friend Vince will, will say is a, a, an homage to Juve. Uh, there's a lot of people who are calling it uh, a look of something else that, that might have had some L.A. ties um, perhaps in the last 10 years or so. But what are I your mean, thoughts, guys, on, on what the kit's going to look like? Mauricio, you can abstain if you have to here. I think it looks really cool. It's like it's a dope jersey. And I think all these leaks, you know, they're grainy. They're not giving you, like, the high-res in, like, real person life situation. So this is why I reserve my judgment until I see better images, which they're starting to leak as of this, like, day of this recording. And, you know, if I can go to the, one of the launch events, I'm going to be there and, you know, grab one. But I think it looks cool. I like the ghosted stripes. Like, there's a different fabric that's, you know, giving you the Adidas stripes and also the different fabric it looks like on the, like, front side of the kit. So I think that's cool. And I, I'm not the biggest fan of the, the V cut. Oh, on, you don't want to rock of, that chest hair out? No. But on some of the other jerseys, but I think it looks cool in this jersey yeah. with, with the black with the black on black and the gold. I mean, we're staying true to our colors. And I think they did a good job with the template that we had to bring out the elements that we love from the initial jersey and from our crest. So I have no complaints. I think you hit the nail on the head with the statement, with the template we have. Right. I think a lot of people are under the false assumption that LAFC designs this kit and puts it out themselves. And that is certainly not the case. Adidas gives you three, maybe four options that you get to pick between. If you're lucky. If you're lucky. <laughs> and in a year in which so many teams have released new kits that look terrible, I'm certainly happy that we dodged the bullet that some other teams seem to have gone through. <coughs> Carson. Yeah, that, that kit looks terrible. <laughs> looks like a tire track across the chest. Um, so I'm I'm perfectly happy with what we have seen so far and very excited right. to, to be there tomorrow. Um, I'll be there. Hopefully Christian will be yeah. there as well. Trying to too. get out of work on time. Yeah. Sound engineer Wilton might be there as well too. Shout out to, and to I'm the Mr. Gonna be there. The I will be there. And it's a beautiful jersey like you were saying aesthetically. Yeah. It's awesome. I love the way it looks. Mo, well, maybe you can take us through the rundown of what's going to play out over the next few days here as you're the man behind the curtain. We're going to have a lot of uh, great events, uh, a lot of community events. So we're going to have the, our kickoff coming up Wednesday, get everything, get the ball rolling, everybody get to see the kits. Wednesday uh, the 5th? Yes. Yep. Yeah, Wednesday the 5th of February, which is tomorrow <laughs> for us today. And it's going to be a great event, good family event, a good place to take your kids uh, throughout the week. Uh, also on uh, Thursday is community Thursday, art. On Thursday is community, and then uh, Friday is the day to go. Okay. Friday's when the 3252 is there, and that's the day you want to be there. We're going to have the drums. We're going to have uh, the atmosphere. We're going to have um, some food there. We're going to have uh, some Beyond Meats, uh, something different. Something we're going to, we want a healthier 3252 this year. And we're also going to have a special guest there. And oh. you want to be there for the special guest. We're going to have a special speaker. He's, he's very reclusive, he's a man of short words, but you're going to want to see him and you're going to want to hear him what he has to say that night. Those are very, very good clues. I want to make some guesses, but I'll leave it up to the listeners. I was watching Step Brothers last night, but um, yeah, no, we'll move on. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the 3252 wine mixer. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to sell some helicopters for sure. Oh, um, if you guys do ever want to do a wine mixer, I'm your guy. Let me know. Yes. I, I can help you out there. 
I'd be happy to. We actually kicked around the idea of doing like a 3252 wine tasting trip. They wanted to like get some buses together and like head down to Temecula. And there was there was some talk of me orchestrating that. And I was like, guys, I really, I really don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I don't think I'm going to put my professional neck out for the no. 3252 to do a drinking event and attempt to act professional during the process. Um, but we might be able to bring <laughs> that event to the bank or something. We'll see. We could, we could kick that around. But speaking of things going on at the bank, uh, the metal headed me is so stoked to hear that System of a Down, Corn yeah. and Faith No oh, yeah. More will be playing at the bank. Yeah, Corn. That's crazy. It's funny. I, uh, you know, Fieldy, their bass player, you was a regular customer of mine at one of the stores I used to work at for years. Really? Dude buys Shimei Blue by the case. Hope he did, doesn't get mad at me really? for, for letting that oh, out nice. there. Dude Chimay. loves Shimei Blue, which of is a Belgian uh, monastic style Trappist quad. Killer stuff. Can I tell you something? I'm this year's old today when I learned how to pronounce that correctly. I've been pronouncing it wrong all this time. Jamey? Oh, I, well, I was in school when someone told me who was from Belgium. So I got lucky early on, but I was saying like Chime or Chime. Or... The only Belgian thing close to me where I live were the waffles. Like, exactly. Yeah, so, he's like, what are you talking about? I uh, was fortunate enough to do like a beer pilgrimage um, through parts of Belgium. Uh, and it's an amazing country. The beer is absolutely sensational. They take an approach to beer production and drinking that is is literally holy in many cases. I mean, many of these you're going to monastery and the beer is actually made by a monk. I was actually at a monastery in eastern Belgium where they serve you a beer and you go out to this garden that these monks have been tending for over a thousand years. Wow. And it's like this sacred holy place and they give you a beer and you're supposed to just go and be reverent and quiet and like drink your beer in, in like this very holy moment. It was like the most intense way to ever drink a beer you'll ever see. But it was it was a beautiful experience. And if anyone I highly recommend anyone who's ever doing a Belgium trip, um, you know, catch an Ajax game, go see Feyenoord, and then, you know, head out and have some some beer from Monks. Uh, really, absolutely amazing stuff. But how did we get on this corn? Yes, that's yes, right. Corn. System on the down. <laughs> corn and Mike Patton's Faith No More. Big Mike Patton fan. I'm really stoked to see, um, you know, a blast from my childhood Faith No More show up as well, too, with System. It's going to be oh, it's gonna be an epic show. Tickets go on sale Friday. I believe the day this pod should hit the shelves. So, um I believe 7 o'clock at night is when tickets go on sale, which is so, kind yes. of an odd release time as well, too. So if you're at the event, you might need to stop, pop on your phone, get some tickets real quick. Everyone's going to be looking at their phones at 7 p.m. at the event. Exactly. I know <laughs> yeah. I will. <laughs> Multitasking that night. Yeah, I know this is uh, the second of amazing concerts released in our neck of the woods. Obviously, uh, a lot of news about the Rammstein blimp that's been flying over everywhere. And I know a ton <laughs> of my 3252 brethren that are uh, got their tickets lined up for next door to the bank there at the Coliseum when they roll through in September. Yep. is going to be a very large showing of black and gold in the crowd there as well, too. So pretty awesome to see. But that, that about wraps up what's going on in the LAFC world. We have a couple players out on international duty we wanted to highlight. So heading back to the club, it looks like Sifu and Zim are heading back. Their international well, call-ups are Sifu coming to an came, end. Sifu just came, right? He hadn't, he hadn't arrived till now because he has his paperwork straightened out. So we saw some Instagram posts today. Zim back from international duty, like you said, and so was Sifu. Looks like he's going to be not as injured as originally thought. You know, Ecuador didn't do well. Bittersweet for him. Super sweet for us because he's going to be here earlier yes. than we, we thought he would be, especially for ramping up to Leon. Um, but, you know, what, what are your thoughts on them being back sooner 
Well, later. I mean, I don't think he's going to be in the squad versus Leon. I just don't think there's enough time for him to get to fitness, get in the squad, get the system down for a game of this magnitude. I think the lineup for Leon is going to look very similar to what we saw at the end of last season. I don't think many of the new additions are going to make their way into the squad. Obviously, I think we'll see uh, some differences, maybe right, left, back. Um, but as far as midfield three, front three, and the 4-3-3, three, three, I don't really see much of that changing. Um, Vermeer would probably be in goal, so, I mean, we'll see uh, a change there as well, too, for Leon. But I just don't think, especially, you know, with Leon being as in stride as they are, they're top of the league, they've been killing it lately. I just think you need a team that's gelling, and I just don't think he's going to have that opportunity to to fit in. Now, complete byproduct of his performance in training. You know, if he's got his head wrapped around the system and he shows up firing on all gears, maybe. But I, I still, and I think some of that does kind of depend on, on Kay's fitness as well, too. I, you mm -hmm. know, he's just really gotten yeah. back into the swing of playing himself. So I think that's the big question mark. I think even though he's still out on duty in Uruguay with Rossi uh, and Pancho Guinella and Colombia with Atuesta and Segura are still playing um, in the Conor So... It could be one of those things with Atuesta and Kay. What exactly are they going to be? Is Blessing going to be our right back? You know, what does that mean about the midfield three? I think obviously it's most likely going to be Segura and Zim in the middle and Blackman out. But I mean, Segura is still down there playing as well, too. You know, who knows? There's a lot that's up in the air. Uh, frankly, too much up in the air this close to the Leon game, which is two weeks from day of recording here. So I don't know. We'll see exactly mm -hmm. how international duty plays out. There's a lot up in the air as far as what our starting lineup in Leon will be. But I just don't see at right now Sifu getting into it. But curious because you're certainly much, much more smart when it comes to tactics than I, Christian. What your thoughts are? Not necessarily, but um, <laughs> I think it, it, it depends on his fitness, too. How bad was that quad strain, tear, you know, different parts of the hemisphere, call it something different. I guess a strain is a micro tear, so there's nothing wrong with calling it a tear. But if he's fit, uh, I know he just got here. He's going to be probably in a similar situation fitness-wise in K, but I think your system point is a good one. The other thing is, you know, we just hope that Atuesta comes back fit. He's been playing a lot of minutes, right? He's, I think they're done on the 9th, so then it's a long flight back, and then trying to acclimate to the team and then flying down to Guanajuato. So, you know, those things are things to consider. But don't get me wrong, what you have said as a starting 11 is the starting 11 I would want at this point as well. And But I would want Sifu and Hinella as, like, our backups in the midfield especially, right? Because K isn't necessarily there yet and Atuestas might, might be ex exhausted. The only one I have always faith is uh, Blessing because that's my boy. And he... He it takes a lot for him to be like super injured. I feel like you have to take him out like in the playoffs. But I just want him to be in the team or come in the last half hour to kind of finish the game off because I think he he's a little right runner that no one could stop. I think he'll be starting in the midfield yeah. for this game, assuming Sigur and Zim are there and healthy. I think that puts Blackman out on the right, and I think that puts Blessing in the midfield. That would be my guess. Right. Um, but, Mo, your thoughts on what the lineup will be versus Leon and, and how the squad's forming? I think the squad's forming well. My only uh, concern is, like I said, because our, our leagues don't start at the same time, and that's one of my yeah. pet peeves with yes. the MLS. thank you. Is I wish we'd switch to the FIFA calendar and not be afraid of competing with other leagues because uh, the MLS is one of the things that we want to push, too, with them is uh, let's compete because it's unfair to our guys and to have our team out there not fit 
in preseason mode and playing a team, like you said, who's in stride and playing competitively at a different level, you don't really see who's the best team ever. That's the disadvantage we have in the MLS for all of us. And one day we, we, we hope to, to, to be in the same calendar, the same caliber, and we're going to surpass that league one day. And we're getting close. The only reason we're not getting closer is because of our calendar. And the salary cap. And the salary cap. And that yeah. hopefully will go away after their, our, their collective bargaining agreement coming up. Hopefully it just grows to a way where it could be more competitive for those that are willing to invest. I don't think it will go away in the near future, unfortunately. But Yeah, sadly, I don't think this agreement is going to see much in the way of a cap change. I mean, minutely maybe, but not to the extent that the fans want. No. Yeah, my only concern with with moving the calendar around is just you know with so many MLS teams playing you know obviously in outdoor uncovered stadiums in in parts of the world where it's going to be snowing, uh, you know I mean and that that creates kind of an odd thing where people are playing in the snow which people I mean, figured it out. I mean yeah. Europe figured it out. Right. Yeah. Um, Get some undersoil. Something. Yeah. Right. There, there yeah. has to be a yeah. solution, but that requires potentially, you know, football-specific, soccer-specific stadiums, you know, that requires people that are willing to invest in a pitch. And, and let's be honest, those are not things we have seen from a lot of clubs where they're playing in, you know, I mean, come on. I mean, look at NYCFC. I mean, playing, when, you know, with dodging a baseball mound. I mean, you <laughs> I know, I mean. they tripped over Babe Ruth's body once, then they went over. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, somebody left, you know, their baseball bat on the field. Someone tripped. I mean, right, it's... Uh, Whitey it's, Ford's glove was on there, yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, like I, I just don't know if we're there yet. But with the the rate at which the league is expanding and the money that's coming into the league, you would think that that's in the 10-year plan. I, I don't know if it's in the five-year plan. I would be okay even with moving it like mid-January to end in October or like September. That you makes know? sense, yeah. Just because, especially for Champions League, if that's really something that's the league's goal, like be at the same starting point with the Mexican League when they start their uh, clausura, you know? Even if they, they have two tournaments in the year, right? They split it into 17 and 17 games with, like, a break in the middle of the year. But let's let's start at the same time so that by the time this competition happens, we can, you know, go to toe-to-toe and not be, like, five weeks behind when they're, that, they're five weeks into their league. Because that, at that point, their starters are set, they're mid, mid-season form, and we're just having some preseason games that... And weren't able to watch, and I get it, especially against NYCFC, because they're in the competition as well, so they don't want anyone to see their tactics either. But it's just not the same caliber of atmosphere one, like uh, of intensity for them too, because they're still trying to get to the 90-minute fitness. At that point, they're pushing themselves to get to 70, 75. Well, plus these international call-ups are killing us. I mean, (laughs) for a team as stacked with international talent as LAFC is, we're talking about getting players into training 10 days prior to this match. Right. I mean, that's that's, that's nothing. A, yeah, nothing. You can't. I mean, especially for new players coming in. Right. I mean, even players that are having to shift the mentality from playing the role in the system that their international coach is asking to playing the role in the system that Bob is asking. I mean, I'm sure for many players that's not just as easy as flipping a switch in your head and putting on a different kit. Not in Bob's system. No. I, I just <laughs> right. I can't imagine that any of those things are beneficial to us, which is – um. You know, obviously something we're going to have to overcome and lay on. But fortunately, we have a healthy contingent going down there. And, you know, even if ultimately we go down and the performance on the pitch is not what we're hoping, uh, we know two things. Our performance in the community and our performance in the stands will be there. And, and that's that certain. for sure. 
we're going to bring the culture to them. We're going to bring a culture that they've never seen, something they had never expected from the United States or the MLS. They think that we are like the other teams in the MLS. There's a surprise coming to them. They're going to see what we bring in the stands for 90-plus because they don't bring in 90-plus there. Don't be fooled by those YouTube clips and things you see on ESPN Deportes, stuff like that. They don't support 90-plus. Well, yeah, I'm excited to see those clips in Spanish and their own, like ESPN Deportes, Fox, exactly. whatever, Televisa. To, and, you know, I expect them to have some interviews with some of the, so the people down there because they're going to be like, where does this come from? Like, this is only three years in. How? How? Por qué? Yeah, por qué? Por qué? Por qué? Yeah, por qué? Como? Well, someone who can speak personally about the experience of football culture in Mexico is the gentleman who's been so gracious enough to join us today. So, Mo, why don't we uh, kick off the second portion of today's show by discussing your childhood and football culture where you were raised south of the border? Well, uh, my uh, culture in uh, football is very complicated. Complicated because I grew up in the culture of what is known as the Barra Brava and things like that in uh, football. I grew up with uh, seeing my uncles be very ultra, very uh, physical, very uh, overly egregious at games. And I saw some of the ugliness on that side, and it was something that I did not want for my son or anything like that growing up. I, it was nice to experience, I'm not going to lie. Some, it was fun, some of the things, but it's some of the things you don't want to see. You want You want families and you want stuff like that to be something you enjoy, not something you fear going to some days. Because some of the scariest times in my life were going to Estadio Azteca or going to Estadio Jalisco and being the enemy there. <laughs> and I was always used as the, the, as the mule. <laughs> oh, the mule? <laughs> the mule to carry to the contraband guy to bring things in because I looked innocent and I uh, was really could talk to people and I, they'd sneak in stuff in. Like I said, they'd sneak in bottle rockets and things and uh, banners of uh, little mini signs and things like that and I'd sneak them in and I, I learned the art of getting things into a stadium at an early age and it was fun it was fun learning how a supporter group works I got to see my father be involved my uncles be involved and what it's like to start a supporter group in Mexico and I grew up here in the United States and but I would go to Mexico to visit and I'd bring all that back with me here and the funny thing is when I brought it back here it was already here I just didn't notice it People ask me all the time, and like you said, por qué or why? How can you support a team that's only been around here three years? Well, that's kind of not true. The team itself has, has only been here for three years, but the culture of football has been here forever. And not just in my community, in the Mexican community. I grew up, in a, luckily, in a very diverse part of Huntington Park. And uh, we had uh, Asian people next to me. I had Mexican people in front of me. I had European people by me. I had, uh, well, he, he hated being called European, but he was Irish. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not European anymore. They're not That's European anymore. True. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> but uh, I grew up with them, and we grew up playing stickball, we football, and stuff like that. But we'd always play um, football, as in soccer, as they call it here. Yeah. And we'd play in the street. We played in parking lots. We played everywhere else. But we'd always play that, and it was normal to us. And growing up, playing football was normal to me. It was part of my life. Uh, it was part of my father's life, part of my uncle's lives, part of my mother's lives. Everyone in our family was part of their lives. So it was a normal thing. You go to a party, a football game will break out. Mm -hmm. The adults would go hang out, and the kids would all go play um, 
pull a ball in the, in, you know, in the driveway, in the front lawn, in the backyard, wherever, just as long as you were away from the adults. We could do whatever we want. We'd break into a game. So that culture was always here. My father's team, he tried to make me a Chivas fan and things like that. Uh, it wasn't for me. Um, I was going to ask you, what, what team were you and your uncles? They were all from uh, supporters for Chivas is what okay. they were. It's not because I didn't like Chivas. It's just that when you're growing up, you like being the anti-something with your father all the time. The counterculture, yeah. The so counterculture. You, you, you didn't root for America, did you? No. Okay. I, I kind of ended up uh, rooting for Cruz Azul. And the only reason I rooted for Cruz Azul is because my dad took me on the field one day when Cruz Azul was playing Chivas. And they, he gave me a little banner, a little pennant to have the players sign it. Every single Chivas guy ignored me. The only guy who stopped by was one of the Cruz Azul guys. Uh, his name was Kaliman uh, Guzman. He was a, a defensive player for them. And he signed my pendant. Even though it was a Chivas one, he signed it. it was, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And only because of that was why I became a Cruz Azul fan. Did and, you have any other players or, I mean, national team focus or any of that other stuff that you would follow when you were younger? Weirdly enough, I was a huge Georgie Best fan. Yes, I was. Uh, I was fortunate <laughs> enough to watch him play too. No uh, way! Oh, wait, here at Aztecs. Aztecs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I got to see him here play That's out dope. here. It was, which was awesome. I, I, I learned about him a little bit. I learned about his legend as I grew up. But it was great seeing him, uh, watching him play. Even uh, the the type of uh, football he was playing then wasn't to the caliber that he was when he was with United and, and everything else. But you could see flashes of it. I got to see Pele play here at the Coliseum when they'd come out here on tour with Santos. And they played Chivas, and that's when we'd go. But it was great seeing him play. Uh, I got to see Maradona play, too. Those are the kind of guys I grew up watching. And that's awesome. I'm so guys jealous. Like, guys <laughs> like that. Uh, guys, uh, when America would come out here and play, we'd watch them, too, because my uncles and dad wanted to go boo them. So we went to go watch them. I watched guys like Carlos Reynoso, uh, Hugo Sanchez. I got to watch Chocolate Garcia, guys like that, and just play. And for some reason, I was always fascinated with the t- with the players on the other side because I knew the guys on the Chivas a lot because my dad and my uncles would not stop talking about them. But I would focus on the other teams, and I'd see how those supporters were too compared to how the supporters were here with my dad and my uncles. And you'd see how each side hated each other. And I got to find out why they hated each other and I always found it was silly why they hated each other. The reason they hated each other because they wore a different jersey. And that never made sense to me growing up. And that's kind of what the stuff that we want to bring here. We can hate each other for 90 minutes. But after the 91st minute, we still live in the same community. Right. We're still brothers. We're still shoulder to shoulder. We're still together. Because despite what happens here, um, like I said, uh, I love this country. I love growing up here. And I will never be ashamed of being uh, an American because that's who I am. It's weird because, uh, you know, my generation, we're neither from there and we're neither from here. Because that was always the fights with me when I started growing up in Mexico, in Mexico City, is they never accepted me for being one of them. I was always one of them, not one of us. When I came here uh, and I'd go to school here, the same thing would happen here. Oh, you're one of those guys over there. You're not one of these guys here, but I am. And those are one of the things that I want to take away, the stereotype I want to get rid of, of People like us, so we could we could give that out to our kids, to uh, to my son, and more to it, just to not be ashamed of who we are. Uh, I was born in this country. Um, my uh, heritage is Mexican, but I'm an American first. I love my culture. I love everything it stands for. I love everything my parents uh, 
showed me everything. I, I enjoy the culture, but I am an American too, and I want people to know that that you know, us Americans live here love this sport too. And your support of the United States has blossomed into a supporters group for yes, the United has. States as well, too. You work very closely with Fern and Bada 76. And Bada 76, Fern does a great job. All those guys do a great job. And seeing you out there, too, it's great being out there. And it's great to bring a new type of support uh, for the American national team. Uh, we want to bring that culture that we all have. We are... We want to bring the barra, but the culture of the barra, not the ugly culture of the barra, but the good stuff, the the aguante, the the passion, the passion, the ninety plus. Not just chant when things are going good, but support all the time. Nothing made me feel better than when we went to all of us went to the women's game at the bank, the ninety niners game. What yes, a game. what a game! That was an awesome game, and just to to hear the sound of the small groupy word to echo throughout the bank. And to have that team notice and come to us individually after the match and acknowledge us, hey, guys, thank you guys for being that way. We've never experienced things like that. And it was weird because these are the, some of the greatest footballers in the world. They've won the World Cup. They've done things like this. And they they deserve better support than what they're getting now. This is no slight on American outlaws, no slight on anybody else. But as Americans— we need to support our team. We need to be out there, not be ashamed of being an American and be out there. I have a lot of friends of mine who, like me, uh, our parents are Mexican or stuff like that, and they're afraid to cheer for the United States team. Nope, from day one. I'm my and parents Salvadorian. I'm like, so? And from day one, <laughs> yeah. uh, I've always yeah. been uh, a United States. Look, I love watching Mexico play. I appreciate them. I watch them with my parents play and stuff like that, but... In my heart, I've, the, the stars and stripes, man. That's that's who I am. That's what that's what runs through these veins. So you know, that's who I am politically. That's who I am. Everything. This is what I'm about. I I am an American. Soy americano, and I tell everybody. And it's okay to be. That's the beautiful thing about being an American. We can be different. We don't have to be of one thing. And that's what we we can change here in the MLS because when you see the fans now in Mexico, how they act, how they are. Again, no slide at them, but they, they, we, they love to throw, this is our culture, this is us. No, yeah, that's their culture, but this is our culture here. We're different. We're not violent. Doesn't mean we're afraid of anybody, but we don't want that here. We want an experience. We want everyone to leave the bank and any, any place in the MLS leave happy. Happy that you had a great experience. We want you to be sad, too, if you, if you lost. And that's great. That's part of the passion. But to sit there and hate someone, to uh, be physical with someone just because they wear a different jersey, they have a different scarf, they live in a different part of town than I do. We live in the same city. We got to be together. We got to stop this mentality of we're different because we cheer for different sides. We're the same people. Uh, for 90 minutes, we can forget our mortgages. We can forget our political differences. We can forget uh, what neighborhood we live in. If for 90 minutes, we all live in the North End. We're all together. It doesn't matter who you are. And that's what's beautiful about what we're building in the North End of all of us. And not just me. It's all of us. And that's what makes us different than anyone else in the MLS. And it's that's hard to develop here because a lot of people are used to, like you said, uh, if you're Salvadorian and you're Mexican, you can't be on the same side. I've never understood that. Neither have from, I. From like a young kid. Like all my friends were basically Mexican and some Salvadorian. I'm like, and white. And I got, I was lucky enough to go to a high school where there was also South Americans, Jewish kids that were busting from Koreatown, South Central. 
So I was like, I'm getting a flavor of LA, and it's it's not it's not usual because you know usually you kind of are in your neighborhood and don't escape it until you're an adult almost, right? Exactly. So I th- I felt very fortunate. I never understood. Like we're all trying to be better. We're all going to school and trying to focus. I mean, well, you're a knucklehead in high school too, but <laughs> I it, it was a, it was a weird thing. And I I I'm glad you're telling the story the way you are because that's how I've always felt. Um, you can only have you know not an, an animosity towards that other team. The way I feel is like I just want you to lose real bad. You know, I don't agree with the players on your team or the Correct. style you play. But after the game is over, like cool like i'm gonna walk by you and say good game uh, and and you know be happy that you lost if you lost and be upset at my team that we lost and not right. at you but you're right we do walk by each other that's the thing we don't realize right that just because we're not wearing the purple and gold we're being excuse the purple i'm thinking of the lakers and kobe right. still that's still on my yeah, head yeah, yeah. Right. but the black and gold to. right and um we walk by people every day when we're at the store, when we're in our church, when we're in our community, when we're walking on the block. And it's happened to me lots of times when uh, Anna and myself have walked to uh, restaurants and other places in the city. You see, uh, we're eating, and next to me is a guy wearing like a small little galaxy thing. And I look over at him, I should hate that guy. I should hate that guy. If, if he all of a sudden combusts in flames, I'm not going to throw my water and I'm let him burn. But... <laughs> We can't we can't deal with that. If something happens to him of course. or he needs help, he's still my brother. Do I want him to lose on the pitch like you said every yeah, day? Do of I course. want them? Do I think they're from Carson and they're not as good as us? That's it's true. I want them to never do as well as we have since we've existed. They had a twenty year they yeah. had a twenty year start. Yeah. And they tell me that's they're from ninety six. But you know what? They had from ninety six to now to do something and take control of the city, they they didn't. There's a reason we're here because there was a need. Right. There was a segment of the population, a segment of the community that wasn't being addressed. Right. And now LAFC is here and we're here. Right. LAFC didn't bring these fans there. We did. When I say we again, not me. The community. It's all of us in the 3252. Right. Everyone in the stadium, all the supporters, because not just the supporters. That's the other thing we got to let go of too. Right. What we're building here isn't just because of the supporters. It's also because of the casual fan. It's also about that fan who can't make it to the game. It's also about that fan who maybe watches from afar. It's them too. We can't get this mentality where it's just us supporters building it. It's only us. It's my little niche, niche, because that's then we're turning into that thing we detest. That we're just it's just my group and my group is building this. No, it's every fan. It's every podcast. It's every person out there who wears a pur- I'll be no purple and gold. There I go again. The Kobe thing. Who wears the black and gold and is out there. Even if he buys it at the HQ store or buys it from one of the vendors around the block or buys it at Target or buys it whatever, they're wearing the colors because they love this team, because they want to be a part of this team and they want to be a part of this culture too. Because the, the difference between us and any other team in the MLS and anywhere is we're building a culture, community by community, block by block, match by match action by action everything we do from helping the orphanage from doing things like those are things that we do that are for real we don't do them because we want pub um, we don't do it because just because we want to pat ourselves in the back we're doing it because we're actually wanting to help and everything we do in the 3252 and in LAFC is, is like that from the team from the support from everything we do the job you guys do here every day I mean, yes, it's great doing a podcast, but you do this because you love this. And that's what's great about it. Yeah, nobody's paying us for this. No, no one pays us for this. (laughs) None of us get paid. In fact, we lose money. Amen. Same here. We try and tell people that. (laughs) You hear these things, oh, your FO pays for this, you guys pay for that. 
if they only knew the truth, I wish they would pay for every trip. I wish they would give me money for every trip I've taken to Seattle, Portland, Baltimore, Dallas, New York, Atlanta, wherever we end up going. Yeah, it's funny. Most of the people saying that are getting free tickets from their club while yeah. we're paying for of ours. Of course they right? do. Sometimes um, you know, I hope I'm even know. getting miles sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? And if they're getting good free tickets, good for them. Yeah. Good for them. But you know what? They don't do it for us. We don't need it. If they do it for us one day, it'd be awesome. I'm not going to say no to it. But I think in the same respect, I, we're happy to support the other club as well, too. And, exactly. And bring this culture and make it infectious, right? We want I mean, that. We want a good rivalry. Yeah, the 3252 is nothing in an empty stadium. Without no. the 1848, the 3252 is nothing, right? I exactly. Mean, so, I mean, it, it would be a bizarre experience for there to be just supporters in an empty stadium. Without the, the fans, I mean, the whole thing is lost. I think, you're, I think you're describing dignity health. Yeah, well, <laughs> they can't even get a supporters section filled in the Victoria Beckham block. But, um, you know, and the same thing when we go on the road, right? Exactly. Um, if we show up in a stadium um, and we take over that stadium, I don't think well, what that's... What do you mean by if? This has happened when, every time. Ren, like, you know, like, like a San Jose last year. Like, yeah. that was a great experience, but it would have been a better experience if their fans had shown up in force as well, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, the fact that their fans had a lackluster performance in, in many different aspects in that game kind of took something away from the atmosphere. And if there was the 3252 equivalent in case in, in San Jose Ultras had that kind of presence, then I think the, the whole experience would be better for everyone involved, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it only goes, you know, I think, Mo, you're the perfect person to offer us these uh, comparing perspectives, right? You can speak to the game from the supporter and the casual fan. You speak to the game from uh, the opposition fan and, and the home fan. And not only, you can also speak to the sporting world from the perspective of both fan and player as well, too, because you were once a professional athlete yourself, but not in the beautiful game, uh, in a different game. Maybe you could take us a little bit through that. In America's pastime, I tried my best to be uh, the best baseball player I could. Made it as far as I could. Bush leagues, independent leagues, things like that. Uh, it was fun. Kept me alive. It helped me pay my student debt for a while. <laughs> But uh, it was a great experience uh, doing that. Uh, let me learn a lot about this country. It let me learn a lot about myself. And that's where I did a lot of my growing, uh, being in different states. As a 17-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid, uh, when you leave California to go to Louisiana, to go to Nebraska, to all these other uh, teams and stuff like that to play baseball, to be something you thought you wanted to be and then have your dream change in the middle because of life occurrences and stuff like that, was uh, a good learning experience for me. It made me, it molded me into the person I am today. Um, it's it's hard to say that I was a sheltered kid because when you live in California, you're pretty much sheltered from uh, the country. And when you leave California, you learn that every state is not California. Right. You learn that there's states out there like uh, Iowa that caucus and ruin <laughs> elections and <laughs> stuff. And, oh, and, yeah. or, or you go to Florida, you go to Alabama where people don't like you. Some people, not everybody. There was a lot of friendly people too. But you learn what racism is. You learn what being different is. I never felt different until I left California. That's when I learned to feel really different. I felt it in Mexico sometimes. But there I was different only because – the way you sounded, maybe? The way I sounded and yeah. my accent, which I didn't think I had, but I did. When I go back and look at those old 8-millimeter uh, uh, <laughs> films of myself and stuff. But, um, yeah, my, uh, who I was, because I was different to them. I wasn't what they were expecting. And the only reason some people would like me was because I could hit a baseball or because I could throw someone out at second base. And I thought that was weird. Why don't they like me for me? 
Why don't they like me for the person I am? Why do they like me? Because I can do something. And that, that will, always puzzled me. And it, but it, lear, it made me learn people that instead of just being resentful of that, I use that as a mechanism or a way in to get to, to have them get to know me as a person. And I did get to meet a lot of wonderful people in those eight years in different organizations, in stadiums, uh, fans, and people who housed me, uh, roommates I had who uh, had a roommate who hated me, who uh, he was, uh, I was the first brown person he ever met, and we ended up being roomies. Uh, the first week was very uh, difficult. <laughs> I couldn't find my toothbrush, things were missing, we'd end up fighting, but we became the best of friends afterwards. We became really good friends. He came from a really uh, part of Texas where they didn't, he didn't like uh, people who were Mexican. He didn't. And, and he told me that. But, it's kind of like the laundromat in American History X. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly just like that. But we became good friends. We, we learned about each other. And we're still friends to this day, which is amazing. That's awesome. And he's one of my uh, good friends where a guy I can pick up the phone and just, boom, he can pick up a conversation. And he's amazed at what we've done here at LAFC because he's, he's gone to see the progression of the person I was back then to the person I am now, which is completely different. And he's like, dude, you were the most foul-mouthed, uh, aggressive person I ever met because I had to be. I had to play with a chip on my shoulder everywhere I went because I got called a bunch of names. You get called a bunch of things, you know, by people who are ignorant because they don't know you. But And also, it's, it's a lot of it's banter, and you just got to take it. You have to have that thick skin. And that helped me become um, vice president and do things here for 3050. You have to have a thick skin to do this job, too. Of course. Everyone doesn't like me. But I want them to respect me because we're here to do a job to build uh, this uh, this thing, this monster that's growing and growing and growing every day to make it something viable and something real. We don't want it to be a flash in a pan. We don't want it to be something that's just going to be the shooting star and then fade away. We want this 20, 30, 40 years from now to say, hey, remember when those guys built that? That's what I want. Remember Jonathan, remember Christian, all these guys who had podcast and now they pass it on to somebody else and, this, and 3252. I'm not passing this on. I'm just keeping this mic. <laughs> like, they're probably like, what an archaic mic. medium. Right? <laughs> <laughs> What's a right? podcast? What's a podcast? It's probably going to be something else. Yeah, exactly. But uh, we, we want this to be something concrete, something to, to, to build for reals because we are lucky that we got to be here on day one. I was here on day one and a half. <laughs> Ray and Julio were here day one. Amen. <laughs> They're the ones who brought me in. So speak to that. Tell us a little bit about how Mauricio becomes involved with LAFC and then, of course, the District 9 Ultras and then 3252 and ultimately becoming our vice president. It actually, I have to go all the way back to the days of Chivas USA. I was never a Chivas USA fan. I was on the other side. I'd go, I was a big Landon Donovan fan. I love Robbie Keane. I love uh, guys like that. Uh, the only guy I kind of disliked was Beckham, but only because he came here to, to retire. He didn't come here to play. But I loved guys like that, and I love watching guys like that play. So I'd come watch uh, the Galaxy games, and uh, sometimes they ended up playing Chivas USA, and I hear these little noisy guys in the corner all the time. I just, what the heck are those guys cheering at? There's no one on that side. What, you know, why are they cheering? Who are they? Are they cheer? This, this team's horrible. How could they cheer this team? But these guys will not stop, 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 stop. 
one day my son has to go to the bathroom. He's about like three years old, I think, at the time. We walk around uh, to the other side where the Chivas USA fans, the uh, Union Ultras and Black Army were at. And my son happened to walk by over there. And I don't think Julio and Ray even remember this. Is uh, It was a little bit after the match. And uh, they bumped into my son. And uh, they gave him, I think it was like a little uh, streamer thing and a Vuvuzuela or something like that. Somebody gave it to him in that little group because he went over there with them. And he came back with this thing, started blowing this thing. I'm like, what the heck? I took a picture of him. I still have the picture. And I remember Ray and Julio. And he, because Ray has that distinctive voice that you can't, you can't mistake. Can't forget him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, it just it just kept in my memory. So then, fast forward a few years ahead to 2017, uh, I hear about this team LAFC and go to see what this is all about. And you know they are, they were reaching out to the community, trying to you know bring fans in and stuff like that. I saw some of the stuff. Decided to go over to the Experience Center one day. As my first step into the experience, the first two faces I see are Ray and Julio. I, go, I know those two dudes. I go, I know these guys. And the first thing Ray did was come over over to me, not knowing who I was, hands me a beer, hands me a Heineken that he, that he grabbed out of the experience center, and brings me on in and say, come here, man, let me tell you about LAFC. Let me tell you a story. Story time with story Ray. Story time with Ray. <laughs> and, it, and that's how it took off. And him and Julio took me in. Explained everything to me, and I thought, oh, these guys are crazy, man. These guys are, this is not even a team yet. We don't even, we barely have a crest. There's no players. That was before Vela and everything and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff. We had nothing. But they brought me in and told me to come back, and we did uh, drum circles, and we did one of the first uh, drum marches at the Experience Center, and then Ray Pop and Smoke and all kind of stuff. And my son, I think Anna was there too, and it was just one of those days where just, oh, this is awesome. This is what I've always pictured the culture being. Something I've always wanted to see, that you see those marches through the streets of uh, Dortmund. You see them at Ajax. You see them in, uh, over there with River Plate, with Boca, where they walk in the streets and they have the flags and everything and the smoke popping and everyone's chanting and everything like that. And it's here in L.A. What the heck? And sure enough, man, it was Ray and Julio leading that stuff on, and they're the ones who brought me in and... Took me in under their wing, and um, what were some of your early experiences with supporter culture like with LAFC? Um, they were uh, for me. It was a lot learning how they do things here because I didn't want to be that guy. I said, "Hey, man, I know how to do this because I've been doing this since I've been a kid." Da-da. No, it wasn't because it wasn't my role. I wanted to see what they were, what they were all about. They were skeptical of me. I was skeptical of them, and I didn't know what supporter group I wanted to be a part of. Uh, I was looking at the Luckies uh, very hard because I, it, because growing up as a Man United fan, things like that, I thought, hey, that's perfect for me. They're Devils. just the guys for me. But Sal was a good guy. Rafa, all of them were, you Great know, Sway yeah. was one of the guys I talked to a lot in the old drum circle days. We'd share beers, we'd share stories. And he was a good guy. These guys are awesome. But then Ray and Julio were just as awesome, too. And I was like torn, like, man, where do I go? Where do I go? And then... Finally, just uh, out of uh, what I saw in Julio and Ray is what you see with them is what you get. And they're the most honorable people you ever meet. They're the most straightforward people. That, look, they're not the most cultured. <laughs> and that's okay. That's what I love about them because they're themselves. They're not afraid of being themselves. And that was the one thing, like I was telling you about the story in Mexico, where I was afraid to be myself. 
And they kind of let me be myself in D9U. And that's one of the things that I really thanked them for because it was hard not to be myself around things like that. And they let me be myself. And it let me bring my ideas. They let me share who I am. They let me share my personality and who I really am on the inside. And that's I love them like that forever because of that. So how did your role as a supporter, as a member of District 9 Ultras and, and your sort of new presence within that quickly become you taking a leadership role within D9U? It started, as the Drake song goes, uh, from the bottom and now I'm here. <laughs> what it was is I saw a need in D9U, as in Ray and Julio handled all the important stuff, the stuff you see, and they're really good at that. But they needed somebody to help with the infrastructure and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like and organization. Actually, organization and some of the physically setting up the tailgate and little simple things like that that are really – You're always that, like the first person at the tailgate. <laughs> because people don't think of that stuff, that being important to a group. And it's one of uh, the things that help us as a group. So I, so I saw, hey, look, I can help here. This is what I can do. This is what I'm good at. Um, so I'd sit there. We get tables. We put up the canopies. We set it up. We get there early. Get a spot, and made sure everyone sh- when they showed up, there was something for them to show up to, not just an empty space. So it was welcoming. I tried to meet everybody. I tried to make sure everyone's having a good time. Basically, I felt like an event planner in the beginning. And we do things like that off and on. And then my role increased where they saw that that what I was doing was was working. So they gave me more freedom to do more stuff, more stuff in the stands too, helping out, uh, organizing where people sit, uh, making sure everyone's okay, uh, keeping the peace, things like that, and just note-taking during me- during meetings, simple things like that. And just That's how it just started and evolved. And just next thing you know, like, boom, all of a sudden, hey, they asked me, hey, we want you to be a leader in this group. We like what you do. Like, whoa, what do mean what I do? I'm just being myself. And that goes back to them them letting me be me, letting him have my input. The three of us are different. Julio is is, is himself. Ray is definitely himself. And they let me be me. And I think that's what works with D9U, that there's three of us, and not just three, because there's Commander, there's Chicha too, there's, you know, we're all diverse. We're all different. But each of us brings something to D9U that works because we're such a big group that we need that diversity in the leadership too. Chicha's amazing at what he does. Commander, you know, Julio and Ray, they're really good at what they do. I'm okay. I just try and be me. And I try to be as personable and I try to be as honest as I can with everybody. Like I said, uh, they're not always going to get the popular answer. They're going to get a true answer from me. And my, uh, the thing I bring is I bring follow through. I try and follow through in everything I tell somebody. I'm going to do this for you. I make sure it gets done. And that just let me move up and up and up uh, with D9U to when I became a, a rep and then uh, one of the leaders eventually. We're evolving as a group now. We're going through a transition. Uh, it's, it's going the, in, the, in the right uh, path. We're getting bigger. We're evolving to uh, we have chapters out of state. We have chapters in different counties. So uh, some of the stuff that we all bring uh, helps us here. So that helped me become a leader. Indeed, I knew I got, to, I got to start going to the meetings of the 3252. And again, because of the freedom that Ray and Julio allowed me to, to, to have, it let me express myself in those meetings in the 3252 and speak for D9U for certain things where I think they needed representation. 
And we're not asking you to pull back the curtain on the council, but what is it like to be a representative of a supporters group to the council? Uh, you know, sort of, you know, what responsibilities do you feel that you need to take on in order to do that role? Well, you, you need to learn how to be a good negotiator and you need to learn also to to do what's best for the group. As in, you can't be narrow-minded. you got to think big picture always. It's always easy to think D9U first, D9U first, D9U first, because we do think that because that's our supporter group. But then you also got to take into consideration as a leader when you're in, in the council of 3252, you have to think of the bigger picture, what's good for the 3252. And sometimes it may not be the most popular thing to do, but it's the best thing to do. Right. And, and, that's, and that's just not just D9U. It goes for the other groups, too. They do the same thing. Their leaders give and take, and we are, it's, it's a big negotiation. It's it's, it's like, like I told you, it's like when you taste sausage, it's delicious, but no one wants to see how it's made because it's really ugly sometimes when, when it's being made. That's kind of what those uh, meetings are like. But in the end, we all know we have the same vision, we have the same dream, and we have the same goals to make the 3252 the best, and we and good for them because they have done that. Now, I was going to mention, as diverse as D9U, each one of the groups that participate in the... 3252 is diverse, right? So it, it only bodes well that you guys are able to negotiate. And, you know, you, you can feel it because what 3252 does in the stands is very unified, but so is everything that they do in the community, right? When there's the the shield of the 3252 there, it's executed in a way that it's very polished, professional, and, you know, logistically sound. And it's because of the organization and the conversations that I think, and from the conversations I've had with you know, people from the 3252 that have come on the show that they express. And they all kind of have a very similar message to what you just expressed. Yeah, especially now as the vice president. When I first became vice president. So talk about that. Yeah, take yeah, us through the yeah, process yeah. of the election. I want to hear this story. The election was uh, very, it was like a continental congress almost in the beginning because it was our first election. And everyone was vying for these positions and that position. And again, uh, I was looking to where I could fit in the best. And uh, before I became vice president of the 3252, I was the director of exterior operations. I was in charge of all the tailgates for the 3252. And uh, I used that, my experience there, and my experience, uh, again, as for following through on things, to uh, launch myself as the vice president candidate. Uh, luckily, I ran unopposed <laughs> <laughs> because uh, once I got the job, I found out why. It's one of the hardest jobs I've had to do even than my real job. John Adams, the first vice president of the United States, described it as the most insignificant office that ever set the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. Very true. He was a wise man. I would imagine that the role of vice president of the 3252 was a little bit more important than he viewed the office of <laughs> vice presidency under George Washington. So I'm curious, what is your role, your responsibility? What do you do day in and day out aside from just carrying that polished supporter shield out under the pitch and oh. all of us scream? and yelling at you. <laughs> well, we do all the administration of the meetings. We, uh, I'm in charge of running the meetings, of setting the agenda, of getting things done. Anything, anything that needs to be done for the 3252 basically falls on the vice president. Uh, not to say that I'm the only one who does it because everyone does stuff, but most of the administrative stuff uh, we got to take care of. And I have to be an arbiter. I have to be a negotiator. I have to be a counselor. I have to be this because there's a lot of problems, a lot of things that happen that we have to resolve and we have to resolve. Jimmy is probably one of the 
no, no slight on anybody else, but he's been a great uh, president for us, and he's uh, the perfect face for us right now. He's the perfect person to have in that office right now because we work well together. We're different, but we're similar. You guys have formed quite a relationship. Can you speak to your relationship with Mr. President? Uh, you know what? Uh, we have a really close relationship, but it's funny because we speak all the time. I think I speak to him more sometimes than I do Anna. Sometimes uh, we wake You're up. You get an interesting look from your wife. <laughs> yeah. I'll get a text, a message at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, uh, 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. We got to do this. We got to do that. We got to take care of this. You know, uh, the front office wants us to do this. We got to fight the front office. We got to agree with the front office. We have to f uh, fight with uh, sponsors who are trying to use our image. We have to go out and do this stuff. And that's we do all that stuff. And, and it's then, and he says, by the way, tell Anna I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I told the same thing with Cassie. No, that's one thing yeah, we're both lucky. We both have supportive. Uh, support. Shout out to my fellow San Clemente High School graduate. Oh, there nice. you go. Shout out. See? Yeah. And, but Anna and Cassie, if it wasn't for them, uh, for them uh, supporting us and putting up with the madness, uh, we couldn't do what we do. Uh, it's lucky that, that I have someone I love who believes in, in me and does things for me, even though she's new to the culture. She's learning the culture and she's coming to this culture brand new. But she's given me the freedom too to be myself, to do this job. And my job is to do the job of the people. I'm more of a person who serves the people than anything. And I think that's the best way to describe what I do is I serve. I'm at the beck and call of whatever our members need, of whatever our supporters need, our, our supporter groups, our fans and everything. And that's what we're trying to change this season as in for the 3250 where we're evolving. We want to also reach out to everybody else. We want more unification, not just in the North End, stadium-wide, club-wide, city-wide, as far as we can reach out. We want to bring everybody in because we're growing. And we can't just be, thinking, like I said, thinking about us only. We have to expand. We have to uh, think uh, globally. We can't think just uh, of ourselves in our little niche here we have in our stadium. we got to think globally. That's where we're, get, we're getting attention from all over the world now. Throughout the first year of your term, what would you say are some of the major highlights, talking points? If someone were to say, I know nothing about the 3252 and about your vice presidency, tell me some of the things you accomplished within the first year of your holding office. Well, with the help of everyone on the council, we were able to uh, establish and start the process of controlling ticket prices in the North End and the reselling. That's one of the things that we're really uh, aiming for. We want to make the North End affordable for everybody. We don't want to outprice our fans. We don't want to outprice our supporters. So we fight for them. We fight a good fight for them. Um, those are one of the things. The other thing is, is we brought is unification uh, to the supporters uh, to not think of their supporter group first, but think of the 3252 as the umbrella, uh, as a union, because we are a union. That's the thing we have to remember. We're only as strong as our weakest members, and we want to make sure that our weakest members are as strong as they can be. And we want to make sure that everyone's included. And those are the things, I think, in the beginning that uh, I really look back and, I, and I'm glad we did uh, together. It wasn't just me but myself. I could not have done anything without the help of everyone on the council. That goes for every single person and every from our all of our directors, from our treasurer all the way to our merchandise person to our community guy, everybody. I mean, if it wasn't for their support and us always being united. And it's the hardest thing to do is to get more than one person to agree and it's the one thing we do, we're really good at. We agree. In the end, we, we do what's best for the 3252 and for all of our supporters. 
Brilliant. So what do you see from the 3252 going forward throughout the rest of your term? I think what I see, I see us growing uh, in numbers-wise. I see us growing in how we outreach to the community. I think we're going to be more involved and more entrenched in our local community. Uh, it's nice that we do a charity work that's uh, seen. We also want to focus on the stuff that's not seen. We want to make sure that our our local vendors uh, are appreciated. We want to make sure that the people who live around the bank are also uh, s- spoken for. There's plans to expand Expo Park uh, in the next 25 years yep. because of the, the those plans yeah. and those plans. And uh, they call it urbanization, but urbanization really means gentrification of a, of a neighborhood. And we want to make sure that our surrounding community are that doesn't get uh, pushed out. We want to be able to make sure we do stuff for them, and we make sure we take care of them, too. Uh, we have uh, events coming up. We want to make sure we're in the community that's around the bank and not ignore that community. That community gets ignored a lot yeah. by everybody. Everyone loves doing stuff for the cute communities. Everyone forgets about the grimy communities that we live in that are around us on Martin Luther King Boulevard and Hoover and those places. We got to take care of those people. My wife grew up around there and that's one of the main reasons why she loves the team. Like I was already obsessed with the sport Um, and she's like, that's your thing. But then when LAFC is like, oh, there's going to be, the stadium's going to be here. It's like, this is five minutes from my house. Like I grew up here. She grew up going to Expo Park, swim lessons, playing at the park there. So it means a lot to her that, you know, people that she had was able to connect with from or since high school um, our part of supporter groups are just casual fans there's like or they're season ticket holders so it's very meaningful for that community already that they have a team that is in their backyard yeah it would I would hate like you said for them to be priced out just because now there's things to do there when there wasn't and the community is coming up and these people have been working hard to you know live there exactly. and if there's redevelopment that doesn't include them that's that's not the right thing exactly so that's good to hear. Yeah, no, and I, I know that makes me feel really good that that's something that, you know, thirty two fifty two unasked and unwarranted is looking into. You know, that 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 makes me really happy. So next year you're gonna run for re-election. You're gonna run for president. You're gonna run again as vice president. Do you have any thought to the next election? Do you want to drop that bombshell on us today? Sure. I think my work here is not done. I think there's a lot of things we need to accomplish, and I want to make sure that whoever we hand this off to has the easiest job in the world. Jimmy and I have talked about this and the other and the other uh, directors too, that whoever we hand this off to, we want them to have the easiest job to do because we, we want to do the hard work. I think we can handle the hard work. We have handled it. We, wanna, we want this to run itself and to be able to sit back and watch it grow and watch it get better. Um, that's my goal. My goal is to hand this off to somebody and not to have them do as much work and give up as much personally. Uh, you know, and my my son uh, suffered, she suffered. We miss things, we miss events, we miss quality time, we <laughs> miss a whole bunch of stuff. And it's hard, but she's very understanding. But we don't want the next person to be to do that. We want to be the ones to do that, and we want to we want it to become uh, better, bigger, stronger, louder, and be more shoulder to shoulder, not just, we don't want shoulder to shoulder just to be 
something that's a motto. We want something that's actually for reals. We want to stand shoulder to shoulder, not just with our supporters, with our community, with everyone. Along those lines, we have one final question for you today, Mr. Vice President. Sure. And that's, Mo, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you? It means, and it's going to sound corny, it means the world to me. Because, again, it's something that I I think that's really best describes us. Because we do stand shoulder to shoulder. Standing shoulder to shoulder doesn't mean agreeing. It means I stand with you even when I don't agree. And that's when we're stronger, when we stand together even though we don't agree. There's things that we've decided that I haven't agreed with, but then I listen to them and I think that, and they convince, not they don't convince me, I realize that this is the best for us. So I stand shoulder to shoulder and they've done the same thing for me where there's things that I've brought up that maybe not everybody agrees upon, but we all stand united. We have a united front. And that's what shoulder to shoulder means to me, a united front. Well, if you want to follow our vice president, you can follow him on Instagram at O-I-C-S-A-F underscore 3252. If you can figure out the origin of that, uh, you're, you're the intelligent one. On Twitter, at M28Blue on Twitter. And, of course, if you want to follow us here at the show, we are at LAFCS2S on all your social media platforms. Mo, we couldn't thank you enough for taking time out of a very, very busy week to come out here and join us. Um, we know you've, you've done the podcast rounds. If you haven't had a chance to go back, maybe you want to hear some unedited stories of Mo's childhood, we highly recommend you go out and listen to some of those great FCFC episodes uh shout out cognac and you will get to hear um, some tea perhaps a little different side to this story as well too but uh, we could not be more appreciative of your work within the community your role within the club and, and and personally your friendship so thank you so much for coming out we really appreciate you man. thank you and thank you guys for what you guys do too because without you guys too to get the word out again it's it's one of the the facets one of the one of the, you guys are like our voice out there sometimes and thank you guys for what you guys do keep doing what you're doing thank you don't stop and be yourselves, man, because uh, that's the only thing I can tell you guys. Be yourselves. And uh, Julio told me to give you a message that they're, they're going to bring you on to a Somos LAFC podcast. So they're going to do it pretty soon. They want to see you guys out there. I'll be there. Oh, I, I would be happy. You know, hablo español, but yeah. I will try my best um, <laughs> to show up and, and, and rock it with gringo hey, pride. Cuando quieran, sure. diles. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Stand shoulder to shoulder, yeah. all the pods, too. Yeah, of course. Oh, no. We, we're just going to be on FCFC. I'm going to be on Dale soon. So... There yeah, you cool. you've done work in the pod fam outside of the LA yeah. community as well, too. Um, you're Didn't. featuring as the regular LAFC correspondent to yeah. uh, a nationwide podcast that's bilingual as well, too. And uh, Yeah, I did MLS Pod Now. I've done Blunt to Blue City Radio with NYCFC. So whoever wants to hear me talk about soccer... I welcome it because I do it anyway. There you go. You know, I mean, whether you know it's Heart of LAFC Defenders, FCFC, or any of the dozens of other pods that are out there, you know, our friends at Dolly Black and Gold, whether it's Counterpress, whether it's Are We LAFC, um, or any of the ones I'm forgetting right now, forgive me. You know, I mean, come tailgate. It's 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 beers and hugs with all these people. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, there is no animosity. There is no competition. I feel like, and we had this conversation with Vince the other night at Free Play that like we've all sort of found our own lane naturally to the point where none of us really feel a competition with one another because I don't think any of us view each other's shows as being in the same sphere and um, that we've all sort of gravitated to those places. And if you're not listening to all those podcasts out there, um, we highly encourage you have them as your second and on podcast in your LAFC list. Um, but with that, thank you again, Mo, so much for coming. Thank you guys also. Uh, on behalf of Chris, who could not be here with us tonight, Christian, Wilton, and myself, thank you again. And 
Take us home, Sticks. To shoulder, together this our culture. Feel the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's, Koreatown Liddy. Cape us so mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.